What's going on, guys? Welcome to another episode of Renegade Animation on the Renegade Pop Culture Podcast Network. I am your host, as always, Mike, and with me is my co-captain, Cameron. Howdy, howdy. Dude, we have a pretty packed show today. Not packed as in a million different news items, but the ones that we are covering are pretty big and game-changing for the industry. But also, we've got reviews for the Looney Tunes, Bugs Bunny's uh, 24-karat Christmas extravaganza, the Lego Star Wars holiday special, Children of the Sea, and Ride Your Wave. But first, where do you want to start with the news? Well, let's start with some Adult Swim news, because uh, Adult Swim has greenlit a new show called Teenage Euthanasia from, El- from Elisa Nutting and Allison Levy. It's a dystopian coming-of-all-age comedy series about death, family, and accidental resurrection coming in 2021. And uh, let's see. With Teenage Euthanasia, uh, Alyssa and Allison have created both a world and a family that everyone can relate to, to, laugh at, and ultimately feel relieved that they aren't a part of, of, said Michael Uwelin from uh, Who's the President of Adult Swim. Set in a mildly apocalyptic near future, teenage euthanasia centers around the fantasy family and their inland Florida funeral home. Tender endings. <laughs> I like that. Uh, the cast uh, of characters includes recently undead Trophy Fantasy, voiced by Maria Bamford, her teenage daughter, Euthanasia, Annie uh, Fantasy Joe F- Firestone. Jeez. Annie's um, Edifice Complex Stricken Uncle Pete, Tim voiced by Tim Robinson, Robinson, and Annie's old country immigrant grandmother, Baba, voiced by Bebe Newworth. As a teen mom, Trophy ran away from home, leaving Annie behind to be raised by her Baba and Uncle Pete. 15 years later, Trophy finally returns to tender endings as a corpse for burial. (laughs) Uh, But when a bolt of lightning strikes Baba's homemade embalming, um, embalming fluid, sorry, and one of Annie's tears magically brings uh, bring Trophy back from the dead. Trophy finds herself a resurrected woman with a second chance at an unplanned parenthood and a variety of quasi-useful death powers. <laughs> well, uh, so let's see. Allison Levy is the co-creator with John Lee and Vernon Chapman of Xavier, Renegade Angel, and uh, The Heart, She Holler. And uh, Elisa Nutting is a screenwriter, novelist, and essayist. She is the co-creator of the upcoming HBO Max show Made for Love, uh, which is based off of her critically acclaimed book of the same name. Well, knowing that it's by one of the people is behind Xavier Renegade Angel, that makes a lot of sense with the setting. <laughs> like, yeah, I, don't know if you remember, I don't know if you remember that show or not. Um, I vaguely remember it, but yeah, I, I love how just... This this feels kind of like mundanely insane. Yeah. No. Um. And this is a good push for Adult Swim because they've been criticized before. Um. And I think it was kind of an open secret that they really did not accept a lot of projects from uh, female creators and such. So that that's super crummy. So them green green lighting this is very good on their side of things. Now oh, yeah. the sh- so at the sh- but now if the show will be good, we'll we'll have to see. 
I see the image here on uh, Animation Magazine, and uh, I mean, I, I it's one of those art styles I that I want to see in motion before anything else because I know we're not going to get that Xavier Renegade Angel look, which looks like someone animated everything in the Sims engine. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I I need to I need to see this in motion, but otherwise, I I could see like a twenty two. Um, episode season or maybe more like a 10 episode season because you know yeah. rick and morty rick and morty is only 10 episodes and yeah, that's, yeah well that seems to be like the norm for adult swim yeah yeah um so next the uh producer luke carrolls who uh worked on netflix's hit the willoughby's has joined relish interactive in the newly created role of SVP animation. So he'll be in charge of uh, making content and original films for the uh, company, including their first feature film that's in pre-production, Shadow Rail Circus. Taking place within, within the popular Weirdwood universe, which is now included, uh, includes an award-winning app and novel series with a TV show in development. Ooh. Shadow Rail Circus tells the story of young Letty Donahue, who unknowingly unlocks her dormant magical abilities and is thrust into service with a troop of fantastical circus performers who are pursued by a sorceress, a pirate queen. It's set to release in 2022 and looks like they'll be using the Unreal Engine to help animate a few things. We'll have to see how that goes. Um, but if it's anything like the Willoughby's, if they choose like a fun art style to that like mimics stop motion, I'm down. I, I I trust this guy, but we'll I, have to see. I th I think I'm I'm starting to think that that is my favorite style of um, CG animation when it when it mimics other um, like other styles. Like it's it's kind of it's kind of like when when um, more modern um, holiday specials kind of like mimic the the aesthetic of the Rankin Bass specials, but it's all in CG or yeah, like how yeah. the Lego movie, I like un until, until I saw it was like produced by, by animal logic. I could have sworn that was, they were using actual Legos. Yeah, no, that we're at a really great time period for CGI animation because we can do things that we couldn't do like, ye like decades ago. Like, if you like think about like back then if you were working on toy story and being like man this is the most advanced technology around and then like being frozen in time and then being thawed out to this time period and seeing films like spider-verse the willoughby's uh connect uh connected when uh you know when when are we going to get that sony um yes sony yeah <laughs> stop teasing us but anyway so and then like seeing what the overseas companies are doing with cgi animation and like or like the combination of 2d and cgi like what we'll talk about with children of the sea and um no it it, it i i can't wait i'm excited for the for this so um next for the next topic uh bill plimpton the famous uh cult fan favorite animator is has put up a crowdfunding for a new feature-length project called Slide, inspired by his Oregon upbringing and love of country music. 
Uh, Plimpton hopes that the, that with a successful Kickstarter campaign, with the minimum goal is set at $77,800 with a $200,000 stretch goal, could help him and his team bring the movie to fans as soon as 2021. So I don't know how many newer animation fans will know about Bill Plimpton, but if you've seen stuff like, uh, like there was a Christmas special that played around Cartoon Network a lot uh, years ago. Um, that was about an old, like a dark comedy take on like an old uh, grandma reading Christmas stories to her grandkids. And he has a twisted sense of humor, but he's also has a super distinct style. If you've seen something like uh, The Prophet, uh, which is, you know, distributed by G Kids, um, he animated a sequence for that film. And it, it's, it's, a, it's a super cool pencil sketch design style. And he's also done a few uh, Simpsons uh, couch gag sequences as well. Just type in Bill Plimpton and on YouTube, and you'll find a bunch of stuff. Wait a minute, he did a, he did a thing for a Chalk Zone called um, "That Thing You Drew." Oh yeah, that's right. And I, 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 I see he's, he's done a couple of music videos as well. Yeah, now his art style is super distinct, and you can see why he's stayed around for so long. But uh, yeah, this sounds cool. I I like the ideas. Yeah, um, Bill, Bill Bill Plimpton is is one of those guys who you you may not you may not know his name, but you you know at least at least one thing that he's that he's done. So yeah. there's no there's no reason not to get excited over over this project, even if you're not the biggest country music fan. Yeah, no, um, Bill Plimpton has a on his video, I mean, on the Kickstarter page has a video and it has some small bits of animation that's like all work in progress and whatnot. It's really cool. It looked really cool. And uh, I hope he gets it funded. It's only got 11 days as of re as we record this. And, and it's unfortunately only at 17,996. But we'll make sure to link it just in case. So. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah, we'll have to see. So I think let's talk about some trailer talk first. Yes. Um, because we have two new trailers to talk about before we get to the HBO Max uh, discussion, which is super emotional and has been a heated debate. But first, let's talk about uh, we finally got a trailer for Goro Miyazaki's newest film and Studio Ghibli's first CGI film, Earwig and the Witch which, you know, will be brought over by G-Kids for 2021. And from what I can tell, I think it's going to be submitted to the 2020 Oscars alongside Wolf Walkers and Ride Your Wave and On Gaku R Sound. Great. So that made this year that much more competitive. Yeah, no, uh, like uh, on one hand, I wish they would put like uh, Earwig and a Witch for next year, but I understand you want to fill out as many spots as possible well how, I, how many how many films end up on the short list uh every year like 30 yeah about 30 and g kids usually has about five or six spots taken um every year like uh even though children of the sea came out this year in the u.s it officially like was shown off last year in 2019 and they submitted it to the oscars for last year which oh, are yeah um 
And I think they'll also be putting out a loop in the third to first in the Oscar submission category. We'll see, we'll have to see how that goes. Uh, but of course they're betting on Wolf Walkers making it because they're teamed up with, uh, with Apple, Apple plus. Yeah. Um, so it's a, you know, it's like we said, it's studio Ghibli's first CGI film and I like the look of it. It looks like a stop motion film, but, or like CGI mimicking stop motion to a certain degree. It's not quite uh, Ardman level stop motion where it's like, they want you to like be okay with it looking like it does. Um, and not, and I don't mean that in like a negative way. I, I mean, it's like, you can tell, you can see like the thumbprints or fingerprints on, or like in, in, on the characters in early man and whatnot. Um, and then, um, but it's more like Leica where it's like, a, it's a little smoother and, uh, what have you. And unfortunately there were no subtitles. So, uh, <laughs> not much to take from the story and the dialogue, dialogue quality, but, um, what do you think? Um, I, yeah, I, I didn't really get a grasp on the story, but, um, you know me, I'm kind of an easy lay when it comes to movies about about music. And as soon as I saw like the band playing, I'm, I just instantly th- thought to myself, yep, I'm, I'm going to like this for, somehow I know I'm, gonna, I'm just going to love it. <laughs> right, like, I, right. I, um, the, thing, the thing about the animation is um, it, it, it looks fine um, for for western standards it looks not great but uh-huh. i'm gonna i'm gonna give um studio ghibli and goro especially the benefit of the doubt because um because this is their first um attempt at a cg animated film and as i'm sure you'll be exploring later um well while the u.s you know took one giant leap forward in 95 with toy story uh the rest of the world um took a little bit longer to catch up i think i think brazil is like was like the first one out the gate to like immediately follow toy story but but yeah Yeah. but it the the problem with trying to research all of this is is that it's very hard to find information about it. And I'm going to contact someone to see if they have anything to say about it, who like apparently who wrote a book about the history of CGI animation. And I'm, I just really want to know about the feature stuff. I know every country has had like their, like they dipped their feet into making CGI shorts and whatnot. There's definitely like, though I can understand that there is kind of a quality difference and when Lionsgate loves to bring over so many of those small, uh, like ch- cheaply made or cheaply budgeted animated films direct to video, and you know they get like YouTubers and maybe like a D-list celebrity like Drake Bell, um, mm-hmm. in these kind of film for these films, um, it doesn't make it doesn't make the other countries look good. And especially when you dip into like the Chinese CGI animated scene, it, it really doesn't look good. It almost but, kind of makes us feel like bullies for, for criticizing these movies because 
like, I mean, ob- objectively, they end up being terrible, but, um, but we're, but like, like I just said, we're, we're comparing them against, against like our own domestic, uh, studios. Well, uh, see, that's the problem. It's because if you have a con, if you have, if your only point of comparison in, in context is 2010, um, like Pixar and Disney, that's a terrible point of reference because we like for a while we were still trying to figure out how it all works. And it took us until like maybe 2007 and definitely some different art styles to help make humans look good. But we were st- we were still getting that down and I would argue like we didn't get that down until 2007 uh, with Ratatouille. Oh, I, and, yeah, I was, I was going to ask like, wait, what year did that come out? Because that's by by that point, I think I think we we have we 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 got it down pat by that point. Yeah, because if you look at like um, Incredibles, like the first film, it's really starting to show its age, and there are definitely some scenes that do not look finished and yeah or it's or they needed like a different run through or like maybe a little touch up here and there like mostly what i'm talking about is the scene where uh mr incredible is talking to uh elastigirl and she's watching she's watching the baby and it looks really bad for that one little sequence like if you're not paying attention you won't notice but and then there's like little things that we had to work around, like in 1995 with Toy Story. You won't notice unless someone pointed out to you. All the kids that Andy has over are just different models of him. I, th- I think I did notice that the, the last time I watched it. I mean, that's why for a while we didn't get a lot of humans in our animated films. Also, did, and- you, no- did you notice how, how often... Um- Andy's mom like didn't show her face yeah exactly like we were they were probably just being like okay can we make this look good can we work around it and what have you and then it's like there are films like 2005's um robots from blue sky which I think got around that problem and while some of the movements could be a little cleaner or smoother um everything looks shiny and that's intentional (laughs) <laughs> like i like it's like i don't know and it, like even like in 2009 with monsters versus aliens i think that was the wrong art style to use for that movie because you can tell that half the humans don't look great and if monsters versus aliens came out now the art style would probably look better now because you can tell they're trying they were trying to go for like a caricature style but that caricature, like 2D style, didn't always translate well to CGI and whatnot. So it's like, it, it's hard because you kind of have to grade on a different level with overseas stuff. Even with like something like uh, Monkey King, Hero is Back. It doesn't look all great, but you watch that opening sequence and it's like, oh my gosh, why aren't we doing that? Because it took us a while to start like experimenting with cgi because we were at that point where we could do stuff like the peanuts movie connected spider-verse on, on, and, a, on a shorter like on a shorter scale uh paper man yeah paper man like 
uh, it, like it's taken us a little bit to start experimenting as well. So it, it's it's just different. And also time, money, like technology. Sometimes some of those films don't have all of those or they don't have all of them working and uh, like working together. So it's tough. Yeah, no, I'll give it a chance. I'm wondering how it's going to look in motion, but you know, if China can put out stuff like Neza, White Snake, um, and Neza Reborn, I, I think the overseas market and with films like uh, The Painting, Another Day of Life, and what have you, like we're in a great spot right now where we can all experiment. Like everyone can experiment. My my so. hope is that um, by by like twenty twenty five every single um animation house around the world is is able to put out films at least as good as ratatouille i think i think that's a fair standard i think that's a fair standard as well because it's like well it doesn't look as good as disney and pixar well yeah you would look amazing too if you had a hundred million dollars to shove into one project exactly and like, if you look at Crude's Dawn of a New, uh, Dawn of New, a New Age, that thing had its budget slashed in half, and it still looks great. I'm oh, looking uh, up the budget right now for um, Irig and the Witch, and I don't see it, but I'm just gonna guess it's uh, like adjust, adjusting for our currency, fifty million, maybe seventy five. It might be a little shorter than that. I'm not entirely sure because sometimes these films had to get crowdfunded like through different investment companies and whatnot. So it's kind of like what you could make of it. Now, there are definitely some situations like uh, Return of uh, Return of Oz or no, Legend of Oz, Dorothy's Return, where it's like, wow, that thing cost $75 million. I don't and and where, Yeah, where's the money? Yeah, it's like we see this all the time. Like we talked about the other podcasts or so. Where's the money in films like Wonder Park or uh, Arctic Dogs? So it's like <laughs> money doesn't equal quality, and that should be and that should be obvious. It's common sense, but you know, <laughs> animation fans don't always have the best context for their criticisms and observations that's why i'm trying so hard to like look up everything about what it's like overseas and whatnot or like learning with what we talked about with tony bancroft and scott salva about animal crackers because that film looks good for 17 million oh yeah now speaking of animation fans um and baseless criticisms let's talk about the boss baby chew trailer shall we yeah so boss baby family business dropped a trailer recently probably with the release of Cr the crudes 2 film being directed by and you know this film is being directed by tom mcgrath and will be about how tim who is now at the in the middle age <laughs> um who's now voiced by james Mar marsden um who who is still not really getting along with his uh, younger brother ted who you know was voiced by alec baldwin and well they get into a fight and then they find out that uh tim's new baby is you know a talking baby from baby core all right if i i think that's what the company was called from the last yeah, ba baby core 
and who is voiced by Amy Sedaris. And she brings Tim and uh, Ted back with her to help take down a, a, a doctor named Dr. Erwin Armstrong, who apparently wants to make a rebellion uh, with babies. <laughs> and of course, uh, Ted and Tim get turned back into their baby and kid selves through the, in the process and shenanigans ensue. Uh, do you want to start with the with the uh, baseless criticisms that you referenced? Um, well, besides everyone being wrong about the Boss Baby, which I think is an incredible <laughs> film, <laughs> I think it's just okay. But, but it's pretty enjoyable. I I still like it. <laughs> um, a, a lot of people have this impression that when when a studio puts out like a sequel or something that quote unquote, nobody asked for, they, they, they think they do this like um, deliberately instead of a project that got canceled when the canceled project um, fell through for various reasons. And yeah. given, given DreamWorks' uh, history, they have a pretty deep uh, graveyard. Yeah, it's, I mean, I get it. I get where the anger comes from to a purely like surface level emotional degree because it is like, man, you guys aren't doing that mix of 2D and CGI thing with like my shadow, but you're doing another boss baby or another uh, crudes or trolls. Which, if you were paying yeah. attention to Boss Baby, they they had like they had opportunities where they did mix two uh, D and three D animation, mostly in the dream sequences, which I think are the best the best uh, moments of the film. But that's a topic for another day. Yeah, maybe we'll talk about both films when the next one comes out. Um, but yeah, and then it's also like, oh, they probably hate working on this because it's a it's not the newest artistic experience. Uh, and it, this looks like a lot of fun. Yeah, no, it does. And you can look, you, I, I, I'm looking at the animation again right now uh, with the trailer and they're taking a lot of the rules of animation and just abusing the heck out of them, like in a good way. Like uh, when Tim and Ted take the, the formula to turn back into kids and a uh, kid and a baby there's a lot of squash and stretch and wild expressions um, as the uh, potion thing is taking, is, uh, you know, activating. And it's just like, this looks like a fun movie to, to, to work on, especially if you get to work on something like with like very comedic expressions and animation, kind of like if you're working on a CGI Looney Tunes. Pretty much. And, and you know films that we all ended up liking turned out to have like terrible work productions like uh the road to el dorado which which if you find out if you read up about people they were not having a good time working on that movie so it's like you don't assume that the animators are having a bad time because it's a film that you're not looking forward to <laughs> Oh yeah, and um, one more one more thing. 
I think people have like the the memory of a goldfish because we have this conversation every time when it comes to DreamWorks animation. Their sequels, or at least their direct sequels, are usually superior to the original. Like the gold, like the gold standard is still, I think, Shrek Two, which is just an incredible comedy film in its own right but right compared, compared to the original it takes all the jokes that worked and like brings them up to 11 yeah and then you know kung fu panda was a great movie kung fu panda 2 was an incredible movie and then kung fu panda 3 was also was sorry my voice keeps cracking um was also incredible and same with the how to train your dragons films I get it. I get people are kind of tired of U.S. animation always being comedy-centric. But I also understand when you're putting down so much money on these these films that you want to um, make sure you grab as wide of an audience as possible. And just because you're catering to a wider audience doesn't mean that they're selling out or something like that. Like, uh, I remember when people saw Missing Link from Laika and um they're like oh well this isn't as dark and scary as their previous films so that means it's they're selling out and it's just like i i hate that phrase so much because it doesn't it doesn't mean or it shouldn't mean that it like you know sometimes maybe a director wants to work on a more approachable film if we if here's a hot take if every film was like the original and uh fantasia they would keep bombing in theaters. Oh yeah, and you that's can't... you know, and uh, and like art, yeah, art, we artistically, we like, yeah, artistically, I think um, we might see the quote unquote greatest films of of all time, but financially, you're not like you're you're gonna make butt at the box office, and yeah. studios need to make twice butt. Yeah. And, um, and it's also like, everyone's like, man, I want the art to take over. I don't want the corporate shenanigans to get involved. Making a film and animation and art is a collaborative effort. And it's just like, I don't know how, how to talk to these dense knuckleheads because because like we just said, you can't just make something super artsy fartsy or else it's not going to grab a bunch an audience. Like I love G kids, but sometimes the films they bring over are not super approachable, especially if you watch something like this magnificent cake, which is only 45 minutes, but it's a super specific, super niche and super dark uh, story. Um, and like I said, yeah, I want more action. I want more maybe slice of life stuff that like, uh, like what Japan is doing or what Europe is doing. And if you are but, a DreamWorks fan, then you get that in television, like net Netflix and to a lesser discrent, a lesser uh, extent, Peacock, like is car- is carving out that uh, niche for themselves. Mm-hmm. So it's like, take a chill pill, take like sit back down. And take a look at the bigger picture and maybe just admit that you don't know what you're talking about sometimes. 
like I, like I love companies like A24 and Neon, but I watch some of their films and I'm just kind of like, man, <laughs> no, <laughs> like I'm glad you made it. I'm glad, glad it's out there, but sometimes, you know, it's not always the greatest thing to go art forward. Like, but I don't know. Anyway, I think this looks fun. Uh, the Boss Baby back uh, family business looks great. Um, I'm, I'm, I hope I enjoy it. We'll just have to see when it comes out in March. Yeah, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to this. All right, Something, so uh, uh, there's now, you know, there's nothing else to talk about. Nothing at all. Nothing else happened this week. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Certainly not the end of a uh, beloved uh, reboot. No. Um, well, actually, I was referencing something else, but... <laughs> Thanks for reminding me. Um, yeah, I, 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 I need, I need to, to get this one off my chest. Um, okay. Yeah. So, now, so. Yeah. Do you want to talk about? Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Okay. So, the cat's out of the bag. Ducktales is ending af- after its third season. But I need to make this crystal fucking clear to sites like comicbook.com or all those other like mom and pop clickbait sites the show wasn't canceled it's it it's it's kind of disney's uh corporate mandate that all their animated series or just all their shows in general they like they, they like them to generally generally stay within like 65 episodes so DuckTales will end around, I guess, 75. But three, like, three, three seasons for a show that, that was this well-received that took, that took the original 1987 series plus, like, decades of comics from, like, not just the American comics by Carl Barks and Don Rosa, but like comics from all over the world. Like they took all of that inspiration and made such such an incredible um, new interpretation of of Uncle Scrooge, the nephews, and Donald Duck on their globe trotting adventures. We'll we'll do a full probably a full series retrospective when once the show concludes, but man, I'm, I'm, I'm going to miss this show when it ends. I am too. And you know, sometimes a show ending in three seasons, especially ones that are more story focused is not a bad thing. Like we, I, of course I get it. We want the show to keep going. We want to see these characters in more stuff, but it's tough when you don't want to go on too long that that's what happens with a lot of shows and even though some of them are not story centric a lot of people are tired of the simpsons being around or like family guy like you could like the production people behind family guy have said like yeah we're we're burned out but the show still makes money so or it's like uh with the recent announcement that superstore is going to end with season six and it's like six seasons is a pretty impressive way to go um and 
I think three seasons sounds pretty reasonable, especially with where the story was going with season three of DuckTales. And, you know, Avatar The Last Airbender only had three seasons, and it's considered one of the best cartoons and best one of the best shows of all time. Mm-hmm. Plus, what, what, what this means, and on Twitter the show like the showrunner um frank angona is kind of described how the news is broke to uh, the animation team you know it it was sad hearing that season three would be their last but um when, once once they heard the news they all started getting really excited about how to end the series and that's why i'm excited to see like the last batch of episodes in 2021 because i want i want to see how um how they bring everything everything involving the duck family and and fowl all of that i want to see how how that all comes to a head yeah and you know i i mean i understand like the old shows went on for like four or five seasons or so but there, there's already a lot of times where shows that get long in the tooth start adding stuff into the formula and it just doesn't work out or it looks desperate. Like, I, I don't know. I'm kind of okay with DuckTales ending in, with three seasons. I mean, it's like, it's tough because like, yes, I would have loved to have seen more of Kipo and the Age of Wonder Beasts, but 30 episodes over three seasons... That's not a bad run. And they, and, they than... pay, yeah, and they paced that show perfectly. Not, not just because, for whatever reason, it was three seasons on a single year. So it yeah. felt like we were just getting <laughs> a really long movie in yeah. chunks. Yeah, and then like She-Ra, a lot of people love that show. Only went on for five seasons. And everybody loves that show. Like and and yeah, like uh, with like Gravity Falls, I kind of wish it had a third season, just to pace it out a little better. But I'm fine with its two seasons. I'd rather go like that than like uh, like a lot of some some of the Netflix shows that are finally starting to end. Even though I like some of them, some of them not so much. But you know, like it like some of these shows have had more episodes than like like Clerks, the animated series, which only had like six or like Mission Hill only had, I think like eight episodes or, made. Or Clone High, which which ended for, you know. Really dumb reasons. Um, yeah. And so, I don't know. I, I'm okay with, uh, I like I'm fine with this. I'm going to accept it. And plus they're going to work up. Some of them may be working on like DuckTales or the ghost in Molly McGee. And we'll just see what happens. TV's in a weird spot right now as well, because, you know, um, streaming's becoming bigger. COVID has basically ruined a lot of live action stuff. Um, and yeah, so it's a weird transition period of like, we need to keep moving and some of the old ways of making content are not working out anymore. And apparently from what I've heard, and this is just, you know, water cooler talk, viewership was not great during the third season of DuckTales. And maybe it's because, 
you know, this is what happens when you break your seasons into bits and pieces and chunks. Um, but yeah, as much as like you would, again, you would love for art to be art and to let the people make what they want. It's not, if, it's also not cheap. It's not cheap. Especially if you have a bunch of celebrities voicing like half the characters. I'm sure, I mean, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm ready for it to be over. Uh, one, one more thing I just want to um, expound upon. Um, se- seasons one and three of DuckTales were, were broadcast on Disney XD, which is, um, which is a, um, a cable network, but, but not, not basic cable. So it's, it, it's one of those pre- premium network channels. Yeah. So um, well, well, I understand that the creators wanted the third season to be on, on Disney XD for, um, for either sentimental reasons or they just, they just felt, they just felt more, uh, more comfortable on a network that, you know, actually kind of respected the series. Um, the, like the reason it had such a low, um, like low ratings is because, you know, pe- pe- people are, co- are cord cutters now. Yeah. And, and while it is annoying of how many of the, the uh, companies like Netflix will not tell us how the viewership works it's like i don't know (laughs) but yeah we'll have to see i think i mean i have to say what i've said so (laughs) so um nothing else happened right nothing nope absolutely nothing no nothing 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 like uh hbo max and wb making a deal to have same day streaming and theatrical releases up oh wait yeah that's what's happening so uh well this isn't really what we would normally talk about since space but since space jam and tom and jerry are on this list we're going to have to talk about this so of course everyone knows that wb and hbo max have made a deal to have same day theatrical and streaming releases for their entire 2021 slate of films being released. Of course, this has brought on a lot of the doom and gloom of like, it's the death of the theater system and the theater industry, because why would people want to go to a theater if they can watch it at home? And of course, you know, just the studios are now also trying to you know, try to be more like, hey, can you, can like you, Regal, be our like one stop shop of premiere things so we can show like a, the new Marvel movie in like 20 screens while everything else gets like one or two screens? <laughs> but a uh, lot of mixed emotions and a lot of, of course, intense emotional thoughts going around. And I'm somewhere in the middle, but uh, Mike, you start. Let me open with this. Warner Brothers, basically, what they did here is th- this. This is a power move. This is this is um, Warner Media, like 
basically dropping dropping the mic and saying, yeah, so we have our 2020, 2021 slate locked and we're keeping all the money. Well, not all the money because they will still show it in theaters, but it's for, for, for a studio like Warner Brothers to A, have their slate locked. That's, that's one thing this, this announcement uh, tells me. Mm-hmm. that they're they're re- they're ready to go um whenever but also like because of because of the state of the world right now you know um we're still technically in a pandemic i don't think i don't think they would do this if if they didn't have to they I, i'll say this they're the only studio smart enough to read the room so like I know, everyone's like they can delay it. They can afford to. Yeah, Event, but you can, but you can only delay it, things for so long. Yeah, how much longer can we objectively, realistically delay everything until you know until everything's good? But since people don't like to wear masks, and it's going to take a little bit for everyone to get the vaccine and for everything to go back to normal it's not safe to go to a theater. And I know some theaters are doing as big, like the, the safety precautions, like as much as possible. That's not going to be enough. And like the studios can't just delay it. So, and, and I'll, and I'll say this and this, a few of my friends in the Facebook group uh, brought this up. The theater's going experience kind of sucks and is outdated. Like, I love going to the movie theaters. When this is all over, I am going to a movie theater as much as possible. Same. But I would be lying if I said I didn't have any issues with it. it it's like, it's not fully accessible. It's expensive. And you have to deal with sound issues sometimes. Like, I saw Machia when the Promise Flowers bloom which is a fantastic movie, but the projectionist um, may accidentally had it. So where half the subtitles were cut off mm. and, or it's like, I went to see the never ending man, Hayao Miyazaki, and they didn't turn off the overall theater lights. Oh, that, that, that gets really annoying. And so we, my sister and I sat there watching the, the great documentary and just, like pure like everything every light was on so it just and it's just like is this because there weren't that many people in there or just was someone asleep at asleep there and then of course it's expensive to get concessions and of course there's the whole argument about like the dynamic between uh theaters and studios where studios want to have more of the money but and the, the theaters need to make up for that and the food and snacks are getting stupidly expensive i don't want to buy a six dollar water bottle (laughs) and then of course it's not fully accessible to people who have physical or health issues or deal with stuff like anxiety and i never really thought about it until i thought back to when i went to amc and good luck if you're in a wheelchair or have trouble walking (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I, and, I, 
that's something I kind of noticed at my theater too. Like it's not really the most uh, handicap accessible. I mean, yeah. like it's it. I mean, they they do the bare minimum in the fr in like the front row. You have spaces where you can like um, put your wheelchair. Yeah, um, but the, but the front rows are not the greatest spots. <laughs> oh yeah, I I agree. I I almost never sit in the front row. And like I only had to once because the whole theater was packed to see at Fantastic Fest for Jojo Rabbit. Uh, this was like a two weeks or so before it got released. Um, and I had to look up and it wasn't super comfortable at all, but I, I still love the movie, but, and just to get the blaring sound and visuals up that, that like that close, like take out those super close, like seats and put like ramps and stuff. Like don't put steps there, like have the sidebars and whatnot, but take out the steps. Um, and my, even though I love my Alamo Draft House, it's really not accessible at all. Um, and, and then, like I said, it's, and I know everyone's like, well, every movie should get a chance in a theater. In uh, theory, yes. In, in theory, yes, but since that's practice, not the case. No. No. I'm sorry. You can't convince me that, uh, what was that? Uh, Jennifer Lopez and Constance Wu film from last year that everyone wanted to be nominated. Uh, Hustlers. Um, yeah. Like you can't tell me Hustlers and Jexy deserve to both be in the theater. Hustlers. Yes, absolutely. Jexy. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, no. Like you can't be that ignorant or stubborn about like, I'm sorry. Some films don't work in a theater or are not elevated by a theatrical viewing. Some of them, yes. Comedies, musicals, sure. Uh, big action films, yes. But if I can still enjoy them and watch them on my TV, then I, I don't know. I, I feel like that argument falls kind of flat. Now, I am, I do fully agree with people being worried about like, will these big companies stay in bit like the theater chains stay in business? Can they afford to? And I remember there, there was an interview recently with Steven Soderbergh saying like it, like everybody needs to calm down. And I think that like, and I agree with him this time period of right now where I'm sure most studios are going to do the same theater theater on demand streaming same day release like i think this would be a perfect time to negotiate like with the with the nato which you know the uh north american theaters organization um and to negotiate with studios because i know studios are going to try to be like well we won't we want all the money but that's not going to happen because it's it it's a uh, symbiotic relationship. You need they need studio they need theaters just as much as theaters need them. Now apparently, apparently that's not what Warner Brothers did, and AMC seems to be upset at them right now because it, it seems like they pulled yeah pulled the rug out from under them. Yeah, I'm now, yeah I'm I little, understand that. I'm a little disappointed to hear that because I I thought that. 
I thought that Warner Brothers and AMC had a better relationship because I, I, I remember back when Scoob was um, taken off the theatrical slate and put um, straight to VOD that I, I thought that was something that, that they agreed on like months in advance. Um, but I, I, I don't, I honestly don't, I honestly don't know how to react to that other than I hope I hope then what other studios do is actually they, talk. Yeah, they have a better line of communication. And again, um, yelling at Sony again for um, still not having a release date for Connected. Um, Sony, I Sony and Paramount, I think, are the next studios that I think need to have these discussions. Sony, especially because unless you want to count Crackle, they don't have a, like a streaming service to really call their own. So yeah. they got, they got to get on someone's train fast. And Paramount, man, <laughs> I, I, I know we, we, we were so tired of bringing it up, but their whole reaction to with the whole sponge on the run situation is so stupid with how they've handled it. And it's already made back its money with all the deals it's made with Netflix and such, like where sponge on a run is viewable on like Canada's Netflix. Like, I don't know what they're doing. And I wouldn't be shocked if Netflix in their infinite bank, uh, like amount of debt decide to buy out Paramount, but we'll have to see about that because, but I know Viacom owns uh, Paramount. So We'll have to see about that. I don't think Viacom's going to give up Paramount. Um, if, if if anything, Viacom will just buy Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> now, wouldn't that be something? Oh, gosh. Yeah. Or, ne- or Netflix buys Viacom. I don't know. Oh, gosh. I don't think Netflix has the money for that. But then again, I don't know how they're ki- they're continuously making money. So, I like, in the end, I'm going to be fine with this until everything is back down. And from what I hear, they're the same day release is not going to be like a permanent thing. And then like, also like the films will stay on HBO max for like a month, but it seems like details are kind of hazy all around. What, what, what I'm gathering from this is uh, what, what Warner media is doing is kind of what universal has already done just in reverse. Cause what universal has now is their, their films have a like, Okay, take Freaky, for example. That movie mm-hmm. came out on um, Friday, November 13th. And 17 days later, it ended up on demand. So while Universal is doing theatrical first, then on demand, HBO Max is doing it re- in reverse, where it'll be on HBO Max for a month, and then it'll be exclusive to theaters for the rest of its run. Yeah, and sorry, some people just don't like going to a theater or have like a, t- a hard time going when it's like super crowded and whatnot. So giving people the option to watch these movies at home, like that's a good thing. And like some people I've seen around are just like, well, it's obviously better at like, no, every movie's better on a theater screen. No, it's not. Norman the North is not better on a theater screen. 
if anything, it, it's worse. Yes. <laughs> like, it's like, like, I, I get it. Just, but to stop sticking your nose in the air, like you're being superior by saying stuff like that. And stop looking down on people who just are, are kind of tired of the theatrical experience at points because it can be awfully tiring. They're, they don't, from what I can tell, nobody wants the theaters to die. No, n- nobody wants that. They just want more accessibility and it's kind of time for that to happen. And push come to shove, the pandemic is going to be that push. <laughs> and, and, let's, and let's say... Um, let, let, let's say theaters do die or, or they, or they become more niche. Well, for those of you who are complaining about people who talk on their cell phones or, um, you know, are, are just not following theater etiquette. Well, what, what if when this is all over, the only people going to the movies are like actual cinephiles that 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 should be like heaven to you like um like the bet like the best case scenario i can think of is when this is when this is all over going to the movies will become like something special again it will like i'm I love seeing these movies and like the two movies we're talking about, but boy, I wish I could have seen them in a theater, but that, that wasn't going to happen. So like I, things need to change for better or for worse, hopefully more for the better things need to change. Theaters need to get in shape and the studios need to find a better relationship dynamic with, uh, Oh, sorry, studios need to find a better relationship dynamic with theaters. Everything needs to elevate because the world is moving really fast right now. So, so in the end, I wouldn't be shocked if we hear like Disney and Sony and Universal doing the same thing very soon. Same. I think um, by the time that this episode comes out, Disney will have already had their their big um like like their big um corporate meeting or their um yeah yeah their shareholder yeah and who who knows what sort of uh game changer that they'll announce yeah we'll have to see what happens i'm curious to hear about this but I don't want to hear anybody saying WB or Disney killed the theater experience because you know what? The pandemic did that first and it did it harder and <laughs> in a weird way, better than any studio could. <laughs> so yeah, we'll just have to see. I hope everyone stays safe. And if you can go to a theater that's safe or like a drive drive in, do it. If you want to see these movies on WB's uh, uh, ta- like a release schedule in a, on, on the big screen, if you can do it safely, do it. But I'm going to enjoy these movies on my TV until everything's better. <laughs> but that's our philosophical moral quandary bit out of the way. <laughs> Sticking with HBO Max, um, 
One, one of the two holiday specials that we'll be discussing is Bugs Bunny's 24 karat holiday special. So, um, yeah, how about you start off, start us off with this one? Um, so er, earlier this year, we, we talked about the, the new Looney Tunes cartoons on HBO Max, and I really enjoyed those. Probably some of, some of the best modern shorts featuring these classic characters. Um, I love everything from the, like the 1940s and stuff, like inspired character designs um like the da- like the daffy and porky dynamic feel feels ripped right from like the bob clampett era um and even even though elmer and so and uh, yosemite sam have had their guns taken away they haven't lost their sense of humor and their um like the violence is still there it's just more it's just less less guns and more bombs and blades yeah and well they haven't really lost their step in any way possible with uh with trying to get at bugs and daffy and what have you so but yeah i agree outside of the very stupid controversy that happened or the controversy that happened i really enjoyed these shorts i think they're just great super funny and even though a lot of them do rely on Bugs Bunny, Elmer Fudd, da- uh, the Daffy Duck, and <clears throat> Porky Pig dynamics, I'm glad that they're slowly reintroducing everyone. Like Same. with the Chris, like with the Christmas special, we get Taz, who I think Fred Tataskior uh, voiced, if I remember correctly, looking at the credits, and um, and I've been slowly realizing that. Tweety Bird is really sadistic. <laughs> oh, he, oh, he's an asshole. <laughs> like, I, this this short in particular might be Tweety at his most um, diabolical. Oh God! It's like he's he, he's playing coy with the fact that he knows Sylvester's trying to eat him, and I, I just love. I, I think that might be my favorite. Uh, sequence out of the whole thing then maybe uh the next one being the road one R- road runner and wiley e. coyote and then uh the daffy and porky uh sequence um but i love this the part in the sylvester and tweety sequence where uh sylvester almost gets tweety on top of a uh christmas tree fails and he, his whole body slides down the tree and then tweety's just like granny granny i want that one and then uh she unfolds the tree like an umbrella and you just hear a horrible snap (laughs) to to sylvester and that just looks like that hurt like heck because it's like oh it's like shoving an umbrella down your throat and then opening it up (laughs) and then of course he tweety electrocutes him with the lights and uh but I don't know. Like, uh, what did you think about the overall special? I, I think talking about this has made me has made me appreciate it a little bit more than I guess when I when I first watched it because I don't know there there there's a there's a little bit of distance between um, the first time I watched the 
um, the new Looney Tunes cartoons and having since watched a lot more of the classics. So mm-hmm. I'll, like, I'll, I'll be honest, I, it, it's kind of unfair on the one hand that I'm comparing this holiday special to, you know. Like decades of content. <laughs> yeah. But on the other hand, I don't, I don't think the Looney Tunes have ever had a home run when it, when it comes to Christmas specials. Not from what I remember either. It's really tough to do a super consistently funny take on Christmas specials. And it's you, and it always seems like it turns out to be like a take on Christmas Carol. And I'm glad they didn't do any of that. I like that. They just kept it short. I think maybe the Tasmanian devil's sequence is a little long. Like it kind of overstays its welcome a little. It, it, it does a little, but... but I will say I did love seeing Taz like try to sing and then a police car would go by multiple times. <laughs> oh, that, just... <laughs> that scene had me in stitches. <laughs> or like uh, when he sings Jingle Bells, he's like, well, this is not a good bell. So he goes and rips off a bell from a church and see and does that. Or like uh, when he realizes that like there's a bunch of carolers in front of a house, he presumably eats them. <laughs> And then uh, the person like locks the door intensely with like multiple locks. And then he opens up the little mail slot and he's like, Taz knows you're in there. And then, or like uh, at the very end when he finally sings, it's in front of granny. And she's like, what? I can't hear you. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, I think, I think the slightly, like at first I was like, "Ah, I don't know if I want to see a super cynical take on the Christmas spirit and whatnot. But then it's like, I don't know if I would want sentimental stuff from Looney Tunes either. So it's it's a weird mindset to be in. Like, do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, no, I, I, don't I think, get that. Because I don't think of sentimental with Looney Tunes. I think of just witty comedy. And I think that's true with the very first one where uh, Daffy and uh, Porky go to help Santa because his elves went on strike. First of all, I love the gag that where it's just like, like um, when Santa brings back or like give like you don't know what kind of gifts they give uh, Donald, uh, not Donald, eh, that's a different company, uh, Daffy and uh, Porky. But then it's like you realize he's been giving them consistently huge amounts of coal. <laughs> <laughs> or then it's like when they go up there, you see, which you, you have to answer this for me since you've been watching so many older stuff. Were they making a reference to the one of the uh, little penguins at like during that sequence where the elevator goes up to the North Pole? Yes, and I I noticed I noticed that immediately um, when I when I watched that sequence because I was wondering it's like no that's way too specific of a design it's not just like a a throwaway background design yeah no it's it's definitely a reference to and I even I forget the like the penguin's name I just. I just know that that is um, definitely that character. I will say I did get a huge kick out of the fact that they got to the North Pole via an an elevator somehow. I want to know where that elevator went. (laughs) And then you find out that like uh, the elves went on strike because Santa's not paying them again, like much. Um, And then when it's like they get the elf costumes on and then they go uh, to get to work, they're like, 
no, you're not making this old junk. Now we make high-tech video game consoles. And then they go to what looks like a sweatshop <laughs> with very Russian communistic posters of like Santa's watching you. <laughs> and I just thought like, I, yeah, I don't think I like this special as much as the shorts that we saw earlier this year but I still got a huge laugh out of all of them. Still a lot of that great uh, Looney Tunes spirit. Oh, and for, th for those of you who are kind of curious, like who, who actually did the animation, this was produced by uh, Snipple Animation Studios. Yeah, um, for, yeah, for those who don't know, um, these Looney Tunes cartoons have been done by a couple, a couple different um, production houses. Mm -hmm. from Snipple to Yerim to Yowza. It's, it, it's, um, it, 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 it feels very reminiscent to the classic days of, of Looney Tunes. When you had, when you had like each, each director give their own, have their own like unique style. Yeah. They had their own distinct take on them. It, it's like, you could tell like with uh, Tom and Jerry, I know they're not Looney Tunes, but hear me out. Every style, every incarnation of Lo uh, Tom and Jerry had a different director behind them, and they always brought something different. Like you could tell which ones were the old Hanna Barbera ones. You could tell which ones Chuck Jones worked on. Um, and then there's that little era era of Tom and Jerry where the, the shorts weren't really all that good. Um, I forgot the director's name, but um, Gene Deitch. Yeah. Um, well, I, that explains, well, I'll, I'll say this. I think there was a different animation quality at the very end of the Looney Tunes Christmas special because I think Bugs looked way different. Not like design-wise, but his animation felt more fluid. And I don't know if that's because he was on a quote-unquote realistic background. But... uh. I mean, what did you like? Did you notice that, or am I just? I I noticed I noticed like um, a slightly different character model at, at the end of that short. Um, I mean, it didn't bug me like or anything like. It's like, oh, this ruined the whole thing. No, it didn't. It's not that. It's just, huh? He looks different. He moves differently. There's like a different flow to his weight. It's it's not a criticism. It's merely an observation. Yeah, yeah. It's it's just an observation. And uh, yeah, no, I, overall, I enjoyed it. I don't think it's like a Christmas special I'll go back to a lot, but I, I love these designs. I especially love the Santa design and his movements, especially when they finally get a video game console made and it just blows up in his face. <laughs> I, I also love how like, as they're trying to make the video game console, it turns into basically a Dalek. Yeah, it turns into a killer robot. And uh, yeah, that was that was good. I had a good time with this one. It's full of laughs and it's only like 30 minutes. So there's not a whole lot of time wasted there. Yeah, so, I, I I think if if you're a Looney Tunes fan, give, give it a, at least a once over. Yeah, and I could see people just walk, coming back to it every Christmas. Like say like, okay, we'll watch this, this and that and then we'll sprinkle like the looney tunes christmas special in between some of the, like the stuff that everyone watches like white christmas or miracle on 34th and what have you 
Um, but yeah, no, definitely give it a watch. All right, so, uh, next, next we have the Lego Star Wars Holiday Special. And, and to be, yeah, <laughs> to be clear, we aren't trying to avoid talking about Star Wars. I know part of the fan base absolutely is just dreadful to deal with, but we're not do we're not avoiding it because of that. There just wasn't anything new to talk about, and it would just take a long time for us to do like a Clone Wars retrospective or talk about rebels or that uh racing one that came out that polygon pictures worked on uh resistance yeah resistance so it's it's not like we don't want to talk about star wars we 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 will eventually yeah we will now for now um we will have to settle with this Well, yeah, it, a new holiday special, something that's I don't think Star Wars has done ever since the notorious Christmas special that George Lucas is apparently so ashamed of. He wants basically every copy to be destroyed of like that film, even though now it's bootlegged onto the Internet. So <laughs> or at least I, I haven't heard of an official release yet of it. Oh, no, I like not not only not only do i not think it'll ever get an official release i don't i don't want there to be because it'll lose it'll lose the it'll lose the sort of like lost footage kind of charm to it if you know what i mean yeah though i do with hope that i don't know i want the animated sequence of that old special to somehow survive because i just love looking at that one um but yeah, I'm sure if you're on the internet, you can find the holiday special uh, that was lost in time for uh, easily. So, but yeah, we're going to talk about the newest holiday special, which takes place, I think, after Rise of Skywalker. Yep. Okay. I was making sure because I was like, is this after or something? And then, because it can't be, well, luckily it's not canon because. <laughs> There'd have to be a, a lot to deal with. <laughs> Especially I don't, I don't, with I don't what think happens. any any of the Lego Star Wars stuff is canon. No, I don't think it should be either. It's an entirely different tone and audience. Because it's obviously going for this one's going for a much younger audience, which, you know, is pretty okay for me. Even though some of the writing I think is aimed more at the older fans. Not like oh, in a Oh, they they know exactly what they're doing with the di- with some of the dialogue. Yeah, so uh, how about you explain the plot of this one? Um, okay, t- to the best of my ability, um, in this special, which is set after episode nine, Ray begins to doubt her ability as a teacher to Finn. So she travels to a, an old Jedi temple to find a, um, a time key which allows her to travel to different moments in time throughout the Star Wars film series and briefly the Mandalorian. She <laughs> loses the key to Emperor Palpatine and Darth Vader, who plan to use it to change time. Meanwhile, Finn, Rose, and Poe get ready for their life day party where chaos ensues. Um, <laughs> so if you're, if you're a Star Wars Rebels fan, then, you, then you're probably already kind of familiar with their version of time travel, which I guess, which I guess they explain as like world between worlds. 
but yeah. um, for the general audience, this is kind of the first time we've seen time travel used and abused to <laughs> basically run amok in the Star Wars universe. I have to say, the dialogue in some scenes is super sassy, <laughs> especially like when uh, Ray goes when goes back in time to when Luke was training with Yoda, and uh, and then you get the iconic somewhat wim- uh, wise line of you know like do or do not there is no try and luke questions back like well isn't trying like a good thing and then yoda's basically like there are no there's no room for participation trophies <laughs> <laughs> and it's like wow <laughs> and there's some venom in some of these characters and um and if you're curious no this is not done in like the lego theatrical movie style it's these basically the straight to video cgi style and yes you i you lose the charm of how the theatrical films handle it but i don't know i saw i thought for like a 45 minute special it looked good for what it is i mean these these specials aren't made with high quality in mind i mean granted you get something like the uh richard williams christmas and chuck jones christmas carol which oh my gosh you watch that thing it's it looks amazing but you know i think all things considered for like something that looks like the cutscenes from a lego game you know i'm down for it i'm down for the visual look and yeah, I, I think the visuals are fine um yeah like i'm not saying they're amazing i'm just saying like they're fun they get the job done though i do like some of the animated bits like uh when poe is training and he's like i just can't focus the the uh what are those uh the porgs yeah the porgs the porgs are watching me and then you see one of the porgs like yeah i got my eye on you <laughs> <laughs> and uh and i thought some of the comedy was very snappy and like quirky it reminded me of like a looney tunes take on star wars or like when uh the animaniacs took uh took advantage of it of um, it. and we need we need to talk about one of one of the greatest um and most subtle visual gags it's anytime you anytime you see the the death star 2 you see yes. you see like little pieces drop <laughs> it's probably my favorite joke because i at first i was like huh was that something oh okay uh nothing and then they go cut to it again and then one, another piece falls off and i was like oh i knew it <laughs> also, like, also um the fact that they keep making fun of um the fact that um it's called death star 2 wait like when when vader when vader's like why can't we come up with like a better name like star killer base and palpatine's like no that's ridiculous but then kylo ren is like i i have an idea for like like i'm your biggest fan your death star inspired the uh star killer base and (laughs) palpatine's like that's that's a great name I know. <laughs> and I do kind of love, I, I think this is my favorite gag of the whole uh, Kylo Ren uh, with the giant torso gag. Mm-hmm. Like, um, uh, because, you know, that's the, the whole meme from The Last Jedi where everybody was like, man, he is swole. <laughs> and uh, the guy who's played by, uh, oh, what's his name? Uh, He's an ex machina. He's the um, he, he's the main guy in Peter Rabbit. Oh, 
uh, Donald Gleason. Yeah, him. Like his character says, it's like trying to say like the rebels are in the abs. I mean, air space, <laughs> and he's just like, I'll just come back later. And everybody's bothered when uh, Kylo doesn't have a shirt on. They're like, please just put a shirt on. <laughs> or like when they uh, Ray ends up in Episode One, and un- like when uh, Qui Gon and young Obi Wan are you know about to get gassed by the uh, by the the trade federation and obi-wan's is like i'm bored i'm bored i'm bored nobody cares about trade disputes which listen i know there's some new love going into the prequels but that's a huge issue that like you start off your space action movie with space wizards with a political trade dispute <laughs> For, fortunately Star Wars politics have gotten better since then, but only when written by people not named George Lucas. I'm sorry, but like, I know people want George Lucas to come back and such, but sometimes you have to save a project from the creator. I'm, I'm just saying, you know, um, but yeah, I thought, I thought like overall, like for like the story, I thought the A plot with Ray was more interesting, even if the whole moral is just like, you have brought something great to Poe. Friendship and trust and family and Christmas, well, the holiday spirit. But I think the B plot is where I think it kind of falters. I don't think they went as far as they should have with the jokes with uh, Poe, Rose, and uh, Oscar Isaac's character. Um, like I, I don't know. I didn't find his, their jokes the best out of that out of that story. I mean, but what did you think? Um, I I thought they I thought they were okay. I think I think if this was like an hour long instead of just like forty, yeah, like, like forty five minutes. minutes. Yeah, like we we could have devoted a little bit more time to um, to like the party. But I gotta say. It's it's really sad that Rose Tico, played by Kelly Marie Tran, gets more dialogue in this special than she did in Rise of Skywalker. Oh, this I, movie! I, is, I know, I know, everyone's mo- kind of beating that dead horse, but this movie is passive aggressively jabbing at Rise of Skywalker, especially oh, totally, when, oh, totally. when when Kylo encounters the Emperor and Darth Vader at first. It's like you weren't supposed to fall, like survive that, because you can't survive that. He looks at the camera, like, <laughs> like pointing out how stupid that twist is. And yes, it's a like no. Rise of Skywalker wasn't my worst movie of the year of last year, but golly, was that twist dumb? And or um, like I I love the uh the bit where it's just like. So, Kylo, you won't betray me. You don't betray your master, right? And it cuts to him when he kills Snoke. Snoke. Snoke, yeah. In The Last Jedi. And he's like, um, yeah, sure, I won't. (laughs) And uh, I like how pitiful Darth Vader is because he's just trying to impress the Emperor and he just gets pushed aside for Kylo. And I think that was probably some of my favorite. Or I love the sequence where uh, the the uh, the Darth Vader ends up with Ray in the uh, Empire Strikes Back in the Hoth sequence. 
Oh yeah. And then it and when it turns out to be like there's two Darth Vaders and then that the clone the troopers are like, so what's the protocol for this? <laughs> like I think I think there were some really funny jokes in this. I, I constantly laughed. I think a lot like I think the, the humor works for both kids and adults. Cause I think it hits that new that like sweet spot of like anyone can get it. Uh yeah, I agree. Um, um can we talk yeah. can we talk about the voice cast and um I, I i mentioned earlier that um kelly marie tran is like the only one the only character of like the new cast to reprise her role yeah um the, the only other people who are coming back from from live action are billy d williams and anthony daniels playing lando and c3po yeah, the, the not even the for that of, long <laughs> the rest of the cast though is like incredibly stacked you have d bradley baker voicing the uh clone troopers of Eric course bowser playing uh luke skywalker yeah uh, ray griffin as maz Kanata. and tom kane does a spot-on frank oz impression voicing yoda Pretty much, I, I I had to kind of listen carefully to see if that was Frank Oz or not. I I could have sworn it was like, um, when I first heard it, but then I kept listening. I'm like, no, that like Tom Tom Kane's voice is is too distinct for that not to be him. Oh, yeah, and no, also James a... and also James Arnold Taylor Arnold bleh, Arnold Taylor comes back as uh, Obi Wan. Oh gosh, he he's great. I love his performances as Obi Wan and how, uh, like when he and uh, Anakin are in the elevator, and it's like you gotta stop being distracted by Padma or Padme, and Anakin's like, I am not, and he's holding like this giant bouquet of flowers. <laughs> <laughs> or it's like, and I said this before the podcast. I love the two clone troopers who are just like apparently like trying waiting for like people to to speed past them and i love the little banter there and of course it's d bradley baker talking to himself <laughs> which, is always, which is always fun to listen to oh yeah and i just love where i love the realization it's like man we had the same thought it's like we're the same person <laughs> and yeah no it's I, I don't know like do you have like any issues with the with the special or like do you wish they expanded on some things or um i mean if I'm if I'm honest, I any issues I, I would have don't really matter because at the end of the day, like this is ba- this is basically the equivalent of children getting together and playing with their Legos. Yeah, it's it's super harmless. I like I I don't know what the reception to this special is going to be, but. I feel like if you're going to be super critical on it, you're going in with the wrong mindset. And I know there's always that thing. It's like, there's no one way to talk about a movie. I think if you're going at this to to despise it, you're going at it wrong. It's like, it's not made for hardcore Star Wars fans, even though they'll make references and jokes on on top of it. Like the uh, recent, like the, like when the original Star Wars trilogy got put on Disney plus, they they did another change where Greedo says McClunky. Oh yep, and they <laughs> and, then, and they bring it up here. Yeah, they bring they bring it up there, and it, it, 
like it, it's fun it does what it does you know and that's all it and that's all it needs to be do and whatnot so you know what i'll say this if this is meant for star wars fans with a fucking sense of humor gosh seriously star wars fans get grow a spine and i don't know grow a funny bone if you need to have a sense of humor of how goofy star wars as a whole is like seriously chill out let people enjoy their star wars let kids enjoy the star wars it's not made for you it's made for everyone involved i me- i was i remember watching this video i think one of the game grumps uh playthroughs and they talked about how they they were at galaxy's edge and they saw a like i guess uh, the dad of a kid was saying like well actually to his own son it's just like like dude stop doing that <laughs> like yeah that that, 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 that's no don't do that don't do that to little kids if they want to say like hey look there's a stormtrooper be like yeah cool cool isn't it you know or if they want to be kylo ren or they they goof up by calling an x-wing a y-wing or whatever just who cares like don't care about this uh, about this at the, at that level what's that uh animaniacs gag you told me the, the other time oh the like, please 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 get a life foundation Yes. <laughs> like if you're going to be that just pedantic about it all, please, please, please get a life. <sighs> but yeah, no, I recommend it. I recommend, I recommend this special. Yeah. <sighs> that good. It was good to get that out of the way. <laughs> On to a boy. This this next this next film that we that we're talking about is um, it's a doozy. Yeah, should, would you like me to lead this one because I can, I have a little history with this film. Uh, um, go for it. This is um, Stu- uh, Children of the Sea um, from Studio Four C, directed by Ayumu Watanabe. So the, Studio Four C, as everyone knows, is a anime studio. Duh. But, you know, they put out films like Tenkaken Crete. They made those uh, trilogy berserk films. They worked on Memories. They worked on Spriggan. They worked on Masaki Yuasa's first film, Mind Game. They did, uh, they worked on Justice League, The Flashpoint Paradox, Bird Boy, The Forgotten Children, MFKZ, which we'll have to talk about sometime. That's a great movie to talk about. I, I really want to see that one next. Yeah, and uh, they partially, they also worked on like the Thundercats 2011 series and like they're, they're a prolific studio and they also worked on like the uh, the Batman Arkham Knight sequences and the Animatrix. So they're known for having like an eclectic style and a lot of unique uh, animation under their belt. And some of them, unfortunately, to call them a tech demo studio because they seem to focus on style over substance, which is partially unfair. I think think there's a lot going on with their films, but I think they're not a traditional anime studio. Let's just say, let's say that. They don't have traditional stories or characters or like a a style because, you know, anime can be so like how to say similar to one another because 
and like designs are shared like not shared but look similar to one another it's basically it seems like this studio foresees like a like border borderline like avant-garde studio yeah they get to uh like make stuff that isn't it's kind of like how Mamoru Hosoda attack uh tackles his films where it's like I want to make something that's animated but that's not anime or that's defined as anime which some people apparently took as an attack on anime when it's just like no that's a good thing he wants to make his own vision and that's what I get from the studio so this film Children of the Sea is based off of the manga um by Daisuke Igarashi um and it's known for it's a critically acclaimed manga and it's known for its very distinct art style so of course Studio 4C tackled this and this this film popped up in the Contra Champ section at Annecy 2019, and it lost to a uh, one-person-made film called Away, which I disagree with it losing losing to that movie. I think Children of the Sea. Like, if you're going to put it in a category where it challenges animation, this is a film that challenges animation, and we'll get to that. And then last year it showed up at the Animation is Film Festival 2019 edition. It was one of the films played on the second day and there was a, a Q&A with the director and the CGI animation director, which that was a lot of fun to go to, even though the host of the Q&A took all the best, jo- uh, not jokes, uh, questions. So let's get started with the plot. After a falling out with both her mother and other members of her school club, our lead, um, uh, Ruka Azumi, is just having a having a bit of a tough time. She's not really getting along with her parents, and like we just said, she's having trouble at school. She, one day, she goes to uh, the aquarium that her father works in and encounters a weird young boy named Umi. Um, who's dubbed this in this film by Lyndon Prosser, who apparently, along with Sora, another a blonde boy, um, were raised by dugongs. And uh, the aquarium keeps them there to keep them healthy and to observe their aquatic abilities. As that is going on, there is a huge gathering of sea life coming to one spot in the world. It's like the, like the, the origin of the world, of life, of the universe. And somehow uh, Ruka, Umi, Sora and are all connected in some way to this event that has uh, oceanographers, marine biologists, like just curious about what happens or what is going on with this. So yeah, I got to see this on a huge screen last year. And even though we just went on our our tangent during the HBO Max sequence of like, not every film deserves to be on a, deserves to be seen on a theater screen. This one does. Oh, this one does. So I've seen this film a couple times. Mike, what are your like what do you want to start with this movie since this was your first time seeing it well let's start with the animation because i think that's the thing that i love the most about it it's um 
now just to be clear i haven't read the manga but um just taken it on its own merits this the style is it's something that i don't think i've ever seen before or or at least not this seamless of combining combining 2d and 3d animation specifically for a um a film as um like as deep in in the water yeah because that's this, that, yeah. that's that's that that's kind of my thing with animation like um gr like great filmmakers know how to work with water they really do this film is gorgeous it, it it's visual style is wholly distinct and i know the term sakuga gets thrown around for certain sequences in anime you know like where all the money and talent is put into mm -hmm. i fail to find a time where there's no sakuga happening because this is a pretty movie like probably the most visually stunning movie of the past decade if and, appar I, and apparently the budget is only like um okay well i don't see a budget i just i just saw the box office it made 2.8 million worldwide yeah um th this is a like whatever budget this thing had it's very impressive because it's very seamless with its transition with using cgi and 2d animation and everything is flows smooth like it 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 doesn't have like the, the distinction of anime where they try to make it look as good with as few frames as possible. They say like, what can we cut? What can we still get away with? With as low as a budget, like of a frame rate as we can get. Like, can we hold the pose this long? Well, what about how this, how about this long? No, there's, I don't think there's a moment where there's not like an American approach to animation where there's more in between frames and like breathing, blinking, no dead eye syndrome, no just like standing there for the sake of saving money. <laughs> you know, it's like this isn't the Dragon Ball treatment. Yeah, no, this is pr probably like the smoothest animation that I've seen um, from Japan in a while. It, it's impressive. It, it, it rivals Studio Ghibli. Um, oh, yeah. And I like it's up there with some of the best from like Musaki Yuasa, Mamoru Hosoda, Shinkai. And like it's amazing. It's just like it's pure visual, like candy. Just like, like the, the assumption of Sakuga is basically like only one scene is going to be have like high tier animation where all the focus is going to be put on. Or, and it's mostly used for action. That's not entirely true. I I looked through like the uh, Sakuga Boru database and like Sakuga is more than just smooth and fast paced action. It's how you wait. It's how the movements are handled. It's how the weight and the physics of the characters interacting with everything. Something as simple as like one of the oceanographers, a guy with the long hair putting down a pair of shoes on the sand is like handled with intricate detail. Like they, they paid attention to how like the shoes would 
hit the ground and like would how much bounce to the shoes there would be and or like how flowing the hair would be the light refract reflecting off the eyes or the different colors of the sunset or the sky mixing with the different blues and blacks and what and what and browns of the world around you so around the film so it's a super good looking movie mm-hmm. now what like this is where i think some people especially at my screening at the animation is film festival kind of fell off what did you take away a lot from the from the story um i i i took well there, there there's a there is a lot of it, it's a very heady uh story and mm-hmm. if um and i guess i guess like one of my biggest obstacles was um was ruka i i didn't think they i didn't think she came off um very likable but and and i feel i feel bad because like in this in the story she really she really does have like she really did draw like the short like the short um straw yeah now this movie's story is very philosophical it's basically our connection with the with humans with the light with the ocean and with the universe it's it's definitely a lot more heady and intentionally heady instead of like a super villain in an action anime being like, well, the humans suck, the world sucks, so I'm going to rebuild it. No, at, no. Least, at least this is a little bit more um, optimistic in in some way. Yeah, no, it's, it's not meant to be like... Um, like well i I didn't find this film pretentious i know some people might kind of like roll their eyes a little of how much the dialogue is very much like questions like philosophical quandaries and but i still feel like they still give enough character to everyone that they're not just dialogue machines if that makes sense like they're not just there to spew exposition or um or just like just to talk just to move the story along because i can understand if if anything um if anything the two the two characters that feel that feel the most alive are the uh the children of the sea themselves like umi and sora yeah yeah one's a little more cold because of just the experiments that were done on him and the other one's more optimistic and bubbly until whatever is going to happen with the with the story um like where he gets a little more out there i guess like a little more animalistic like instead of going off of like logic he goes off of instinct yeah like like, ba- but, like basically he he starts behaving like one of like one of those um dolphins yeah and i understand ruka being kind of insufferable at first because it's like but I kind of understand it too. She's not in a good mindset at the beginning and she's just trying to find out where she belongs in the world, in this world. And, you know, when you're a teenager and you start thinking about more complex and complicated things, 
it's hard to translate that and to translate those thoughts. And she just wants to know what's going to happen. Like, where is she? Who? How does she connect to the bigger scheme in the world? And I mean, that's why I love this movie. I just love that it feels philosophical without looking down at the audience. Oh yeah, it, no. It, um, it's it's one of those movies that that doesn't try to like hold your hand. It it, it basically just kind of like if 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 the movie was a giant like a giant aquarium pool, you are you're just like dropped in the pool. With, with no lifeboat, no uh, no lifeguard, just good luck. Yeah. No, um, I wanted to talk about this too, about the animation with the use of the CGI. Like, like we both said, the CGI is actually used really well. And I remember it was kind of a challenge with certain animals, like the whale, especially the humpback whales, I think from what the CGI animator uh, or the head of the CGI animation talked about. And it was also hard to do like the stingrays and uh, what have you. And yeah, you could sometimes tell where CGI is used, like when she's running to the aquarium and like there's that panning shot as it follows her running like to that bridge. Um, that That's that's when I'd say like the CGI felt the most apparent in the like in the first half. But but I'll say this. I think people who to, who are so hellbent on being like, it should all be 100% 2D, nothing CGI, CGI is bad. And it's just like, boy, howdy. I think some of the people who worked on stuff like even like the Lion King wished that they had CGI tech or they wished 2D could do some of the things. Like I remember this one video talking about the, the con of like the pros and cons of CGI animation they talked about the scene where uh, in the Lion King where Mufasa is talking to Simba and you know how the camera slowly pans around them. Yeah. And they were saying like, that's a great sequence, but that must've been a pain in the back to animate. And it can, and it feels sluggish because they're having to slowly make sure that nothing goes off model. They, they can't just let the characters talk. Like there are, and I made this tweet that's actually blowing up right now on Twitter. There are things that 2D can do that CGI can't, but there are things that CGI can do that 2D can't. It's it shouldn't be this battle of 2D versus CGI. Right, and, and I think I think this movie proves that um, you you can you can you it's it's not about what you use; it's how you use it. And I think what I like about um, how this film uses both is that it like this kind of reminds me of the an like the animated equivalent of Mad Max Fury Rose or, or uh, Fury Road, where mm -hmm. people people praise that movie for its use of practical effects without without knowing that most of, most of like the post production involved a lot of a lot of CG, a lot of uh, color correction, um, a lot, like a lot of digital touch-ups to make it look as good as it does. So, yeah. in, so in this movie, um, it's it, it's kind of the same thing. Like, um, 
it's it's one of the best like traditionally animated movies um ever but it also has a big assist from uh from computer animation yeah now i understand that you may have had a little issue with the third act where it it decides to go all 2001 (laughs) or i i guess that's what i got from your review um quick thoughts because that uh, seems to be a a breaking point for some people also no if 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 anything like um the like the like the third act is is the stuff that i was i was kind of the most blown away by oh Uh, sorry i might have misread then I know it's that's fine. Um, it like it is it is a lot, and I think I think I need to go back and rewatch this movie a couple a couple more times before I can I can truly say that this is a masterpiece. But um, it, it's a lot because it is like uh, Umi becomes one with the universe, <laughs> and. Yeah, it's very 2001. I won't lie and say that I got it right off the bat. I had to think about this. And this was during a time when I first saw that animation is film where I couldn't really afford to. So like when I was waiting for my question to be answered, which was a very simple question where that was just like, what was it like when G Kids offered to bring your movie over to the States? And uh, it was cute. They were like, oh my gosh, like, that's great. But oh man, we weren't thinking about it. <laughs> Like I think I think they were just saying this will be just Japan only and Japan will only get it, but then they're like, oh man, a US audience wants to see this. Okay. Um I had to think about it a little. And then I watched it a few months back when I got got it on Blu-ray and I watched it with my family. And it I think the ending works on a more emotional sensibility level. Cause like you can get and understand what's going on if you just don't I don't want to say think about it too hard because this movie's smart. It's a smart movie, but it's a lot. It's a visual overload at points. But then again, I'd rather have that than nothing. (laughs) That that's true. Um, now, uh, well, I I will say about this: the music, which is also one of the best parts of the movie. Oh my god, the 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 score. Um, I I don't usually. I mean. Uh, like music in, in anime is something that I praise a lot, but mostly it's it's either the like the OP or or the ending. Um, yeah, I, I I don't really get to talk enough about about this like the actual score and this movie and Rider Wave have like incredible background music. Well, that should be no shock with Children of the Sea since Joe Hisaishi. Uh, who usually d- does the work, the music for our Ghibli movies? Okay, um, that like that makes sense. Yeah, you can really tell with the flute and the piano, and just like the mu- like he has a, a unique and distinct rhythm to how he handles music. And I I won't lie, when I finally found out the the name of the ending, the ending theme to Children of the Sea, I downloaded that song instantly i listened to that song a lot because i just love the grandiose feel of it it's called spirit of the of the sea and i just love that song that plays when the credits are rolling and 
Um, but yeah, Joe Hisashi just brings this otherworldly universal feel to Children of the Sea. And even though it has its more its lightweight moments, he still knows how to do that. And it just shows why Joe Hisashi is so good at his job. He's basically the Hans Zimmer, John Williams of movie composition music. Yeah. And, and I I think I think starting starting today we should make more of an effort to you know give this guy the the credit he deserves yes definitely and maybe we'll start talking more about the ghibli films like we'll do like a little tiny subset of podcasts just to talk about the the ghibli films so because you you haven't seen all of them right um i haven't and i i feel bad because I announced months ago that I was going to do a a uh, Ghibli journey, but that's that's been put on the back burner only because our schedule is uh, gonzo. Yeah, it is. We'll we'll definitely have to make some time to do it. Maybe for twenty twenty one, we'll we'll do like a little like like pocket of Ghibli or something, where we just do a small podcast for every film that Miyazaki and his teams worked on. Yeah, or or at the very least, I'll I'll save my Ghibli thoughts for for recommendations. Yeah, yeah, we'll we'll just see where that goes. Um, but, but yeah, go, but going back to Children of the Sea, I think yeah, I think this is this is a great this is a great first impression for me for um for the director Ayumu Watanabe, um, who funny enough got their start with uh, the Dorimon movies. <laughs> Oh yeah, that, that that it's always interesting because like Keiichi Hara, who did uh, Miss Hokusai and The Wonderland, uh, got his start on the Shinchan movies, and it's it's like how Miyazaki got his start on the Lupin the Third film uh, franchise. So it's, it, yeah, it's always fascinating to see where where um, Japanese directors um, catch their first break. Yeah, no, it, it, it's, a, this is what I love about the behind the scenes stuff. I love looking up everything. It's not just, there's a movie, here's the, the director who can, whatever, uh, hope the movie's good. No, I love like, I love looking at these movies and then looking at their filmography or what they worked on and being like, okay, that makes sense. I can see where he worked on this to work on his more original stuff. So I, yeah, I love this movie. I I count it as a 2019 film, but only because uh, G Kids submitted it last year to the Oscars, which unfortunately G Kids got pushed out for because of I Lost My Body and Klaus. Mm. Uh, because otherwise, I think Children of the of the Sea would have been a real contender, along with like Funan and Bunwell. Um, I I personally count it as a 2020 release only because. Um, that's that's when North American, the general North American audience got to see it. Right, right. And I don't blame you for doing that because it is tough because I kind of go by what it gets submitted to the Oscars, but sometimes I do make an exception like uh, like The Boy and the Beast by Mamoru Hosoda wasn't technically a 2015 submission, but it came out in 2016 and it's just kind of like, ah, I, I feel more comfortable putting it in 2016. Fair enough. But yeah. But and then sometimes I'll be I'll be the weirdo and be like, 
this movie came out in 1992, but we finally got it in the U.S., so I'm going to count it. <laughs> Wait, are you talking about Only Yesterday? Yes. <laughs> uh, some people are and Belladonna of Sadness because people are like, why did you put these two on there? Because it's like, because we didn't get them until that year. Like, uh, but anyway, overall, Children of the Sea is one of my favorite experience, experiences with anime and animation. I just adore this movie and I, I just love it to death. And it's available now on Blu-ray and DVD and digital. And for US viewers, it's currently as we record this on Netflix. Yep. I am I will never not be jealous that you got to see this on the big screen. Oh boy, especially when you see that third act um yep. unfold. It's like, whoa. And I think that's when everybody kind of dropped off. It's <laughs> just like, wow, that was amazing. I don't think I understood it, but wow. <laughs> And nothing against them. I understand this won't be everyone's cup of tea, but give it give it a watch. I mean, I don't think kids will get will enjoy this. This one's more like young adults or older yeah. teens. But though, of course, you know that we always get those situations like eighth grade being rated R for some reason, even though it's like no, it's not the right age, the right viewership. The the MPAA is weird. And I'll never, yeah. I'll never understand their logic. Me neither. But anyway, go watch Children of the Sea. Give G Kids and Studio Four C the the support they deserve. All right. Um, mind if I take this one? Yeah, go ahead. Because this is my number one of the year. And again, <laughs> this is this is another like kind of borderline example. Um, where Roger Wave was released in Japan in 2019, but North America didn't really get its official viewing until 2020. Yeah, and it wasn't submitted last year to the Oscars, so it's going to be submitted this year from what I can tell. So I count it as a 2020 movie as well. Um, yeah, that's, that's appropriate. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, sorry, go on. So, right, so Roger Wave is the latest feature from Science Saru. And we talked about them a few months ago when we um, reviewed Japan Sinks. Um, and that was also directed by Masaki Yuasa. Um, and this is an original story written by uh, Raiko Yoshida, who apparently got their, got their start working, um, working on Dragon Ball Z. <laughs> see this is what i'm talking about like yeah dragon um, ball z virtua fighter digimon adventure yeah uh, her, like she has a lot of um shonen credits which is fascinating what? yeah uh, roni kenshin here and there the cat she wrote the cat returns i love that movie and uh the get backers that's a that's an interesting little thing um scrapped princess school rumble she like she's worked in everything, so. Um, so what's the story with Roger Wave? Well, we follow uh, Hinako uh, Mukaimizu, a surf-loving college student who just moved to this small seaside seaside town. Um, when a sudden fire breaks out in her apartment building, she's rescued by um, Minato, Minato Hinageshi a handsome fire, fire, yeah, firefighter 
and the two soon fall in love. Just as they become inseparable, Minato loses his life uh, in an accident at sea. Hinako is so distraught that she can no longer even look at the ocean. But one day she sings a song that reminds her of their time together and Minato appears in the water. From then on, she can summon him in any watery surface as soon as she sings her song. But can the two really remain together forever? And what is the real reason for Minato's sudden reappearance? Um, okay, if, that, if any of that sounds weird to you, don't worry, it's Japan, everything is weird. Well, it's also science, sorry, when you also, there's always gonna be a quirky twist to it all. I, like Lou like over the wall has vampire uh mermaids though the, the the distinction there was that they were originally vampires but they turned them into mermaids and then they just kept some of the vampire aesthetics for the mermaids so yeah this is not shocking that there's a bit of a weird angle to this movie although i i guess compared compared to like mind game this 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 is at best magical realism Oh, this is the most approachable Yuasa film next to Lou Over the Wall. Mind Game is probably the hardest film to get into. And I know this because I've watched that movie multiple times and I'm still not entirely sure if I truly, utterly love it or just think it's like admirable, but not fully great. But I have to, but I'm still diving into that movie. Oh, no matter how many times I watch it. But yeah, go ahead. Um, but yeah, I, th I think... I think this is his most, his most um, controlled, but, but for, for 2020, this, this is just, th this, this movie is why animation exists. It's, it's to tell, it's to tell stories that you can't, well, you can, but it's, it's better when told in animation and um, I, I kind of joked about, joked about this on Twitter um, when I shared my Children of the Sea review, but we accidentally themed um, themed this uh, episode um, with aquatic anime. <laughs> yeah, I, no, I, I swear that was not on purpose, but no, it's not. <laughs> um, but it just gives me more of an opportunity to say. Um, filmmakers who know how to use water are the best filmmakers ever yeah no this is a gorgeous movie and it de definitely has that energetic animation that science saru and yuasa are known for but it's definitely dialed back but it feels more like like you said grounded like it's not as crazy and goofy as lou over the wall but it's not uh but it's not too grounded to be boring and dull but um yeah what was your favorite part about the about ride your wave um honestly it's it's like the like the first um i guess like the first like third of the film um where you actually get to develop the romance between um minato and uh hinako and i also i also love when they're when they're singing their song, um, what what's the title of of the song? Uh, I think it's called "There You Are." Well, yeah, I, or no, um, 
Well, let me no keep talking and I'll look it up. But um, yeah, the song that they've bonded oh, over. It, oh, it's it's called a uh, brand new story. Oh yeah, brand new story. Um, but what what I love about it, um, what I love about um, the song and its 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 placement in the montage, like as, as they're singing, it there's there's just something very um, pure and um, jovial about about like the way they're singing because you can you can hear all like the laughing and the uh like the, the corniness and... yeah like um i almost i almost want to say that like a lot of that delivery was improvised because it because it seemed it seems like um the two actors um joey richter and and Merritt layton yeah, I, it it feels it feels like they were in the same room when they recorded that dialogue, and they were just kind of like laughing, having a good time together. Um, but it real it really fits the like the montage, which all which almost kind of remind me of um, you know how everyone talks about the first like the first ten minutes of Up. Oh yeah, yeah. and how everyone says like mm-hmm. that could have been a short story in in and of itself. Yeah. Yeah, I, I got major up up vibes from from the first act. Yeah, the um I agree with you. I think the best part the best part of this romance movie is the fact that they actually flesh them out. <clears throat> this is why I like uh, Makoto Shinkai's Weathering with You more than your name. Because it's they I mean, we'll talk about weathering with you another time, but my point is is like this movie that movie and Ride Your Wave actually like develop the romance they develop the relationship and for some reason that's always that always seems like a hard thing to do for a lot of romance movies even like live action ones like where it's either super generic or it's like it's more about dealing with the loss of someone you love but here you actually get to bond with the two characters and from what i remember i saw this both subtitled and dub and it's the same like in sub and dub with the montage where they're like laughing and uh just kind of having fun singing a song together i think they may have been in the same room um when they recorded the original japanese tracks i, I was gonna i was gonna say like um like be, because because of covid who like who knows um if the english dub cast um were in the same room together well, that's the thing. I don't think this thing had a dub when it was had its Fathom events in February, but I'm not entirely sure. Or they could have been working on it and they just couldn't get it out in time because that happened when uh, back in 2018 when animation and film showed Mirai. They were supposed to have the English dub ready, but something kept like screwing up. So they couldn't show the dub. So they just kept it with subtitles. Um. And I think that may have happened here, but I'm not entirely sure. Hmm. But well, um, well, but anyway, um, I, 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 love their, um, their romance. Um, for, um, I, I, out of all the Japanese films that we've seen, like I think this has this has like the best, um like the best romance not not just with um minato and hinako but 
but Yoko and Wasabi um, are just at are just as like they're they're just as good at a, a romantic pair as as the like the two leads. Yeah, they're the, the, the overall cast is really endearing and they're very fleshed out. They're not just like you're the guy friend, you're the girlfriend. Well, you know what I mean by girlfriend. The the friend who's a girl. <laughs> yeah. Um, and they get their own little story arcs. And like Yoko becomes a little less venomy venomous, which is funny because Minato uh, nicknames her a blue ringed octopus. And if you know anything about that <laughs> creature, it's a uh, it can kill you, mm-hmm. and it's super. And then Wasabi gets more of just like a basically a spine. <laughs> But he's not like super wimpy annoying. He's just kind of like, like the big theme with this movie, besides dealing with grief, it says finding your place in the world, which both of these movies we're talking about happen to be a major, that has to be a major theme. Um, And he's just wondering if he should be a firefighter, if he should not. And he's not as good as Minato. But then it's just, he they, they all grow which is nice they don't just get pushed to the side um and i think it, it is just like i think that's a very universal theme of just trying to find your place because i feel like everyone deals with that at one point or another oh yeah um so another theme that i really like is they they really they really explore like um how one person can affect like an entire group of people or they 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 explore the lasting effect that someone has another like um it like in in the film they kind they kind of treat it like a twist but when when they reveal when they reveal that um Hinako was the girl that saved um like Minato when yeah when he w- when he almost drowned as a as a child yeah yeah that um that revelation hit like hit me like a ton of bricks and it, and it made and it made so much sense too because um do you do you remember in like um in the beginning when Minato described to Wasabi like like they described the the surfer girl who at that point wasn't named what? yet um yeah they just called her surfer girl but then minato calls her like she's my hero yeah but yeah. we um but we don't get yeah, to we find don't. out we don't get to find out why until later no it's like at first it's just like she's brave because she can go surfing and it's like well that's kind of simple but then yeah then it's uh it's expanded upon and uh this is also the second film that we're talking about that has dugongs <laughs> and that wasn't intentional either because of the i guess let's call it the elf the water elephant in the room that when minato dies and like we said when hinako sings he is brought back and for a lot of the movie she brings him back inside this inflatable dugong <laughs> and at first it's like it looks a little sad well i mean everyone else is kind of like what on earth is she doing with that giant thing and but it's just like it's tough she's like oh my gosh i get to be with you but it's also not forever 
though, which is, man, you know what? All of my favorite animated films of this year, Onward, Over the Moon, Ride Your Wave, they all have to deal with that, <laughs> with the temporary joy of seeing a, lo- a lost loved one. <laughs> yeah, I, that, that's, I just, it, it, it's, it's weird that in this year of all, of all things, um, like that, like the, like the theme of grief and trying, and trying to move forward with your life, that that's like, that kind of became like the accidental theme of 2020. Yeah, it's weird. It, 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 and maybe that's why I'm just, I'm kind of frazzled right now. I'm just like, whoa, I didn't even notice that until now. And it's, it's definitely interesting with how they handle, um, how Minato comes back in the water form. And I, like, I, I saw a few people online saying like, oh, so this is just a Japanese shape of water. <laughs> um, um, which is not entirely untrue, but. <laughs> I mean, he does, he does show up in the shape of a dugong. Yeah. <laughs> no, it, it's by, just. By the, by the way, um, like, I, I, I know we're, we're just, we're, we're describing the more somber elements of the story, but it's it's also it also can get really funny, like yeah, the, like when, the we, when we first, yeah, like when we first see um, Hinako's apartment, um, when when her mom calls her, I was kind like I I was kind of uh, reminded of all the scenes in um, Agretzko when. Yeah. Um, when Retzko's mom would would always be calling like, "Are you doing okay? Are you eating right?" Oh yeah, and then she yeah, and uh, oh, what what's her name? Uh, yeah, uh, Hinako is just trying to like make an, a super fancy omelet, but it doesn't look great. And then she's then her mom calls her, and then she's trying to keep all the boxes from falling down. It actually reminds you of a clip. You'll have to watch this movie sometime. Wolf Children. When uh, oh, one of the yeah. one of the kids climbs up the shelf and then the shelf falls over and the, uh, the mom is just trying to hold the whole thing up. <laughs> and no, this movie's really funny, especially when you get to uh, Minato's uh, uh, super like boot camp of surfing. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I I loved him being like, "Yeah, I'm gonna look good for my girlfriend." And then it's just like, "Fail, fail, fail." And it's like I don't feel bad for him. I I just like I'm laughing with him and the audience. Yeah, it's 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 endearing watching him fail at surfing when yeah. um when he basically exceeds at everything else. Yeah, it makes him more human because I think a lot of anime love stories can sometimes fall into the like the fantasy boyfriend or fantasy girlfriend trope. And it's more human if you give them a very relatable flaw. And at least that's how I look at it. And I, I love this. I love the little relationship that Yoko and Wasabi uh, bond with. And then they're just kind of like, yeah, well, we'll just have to see how they're relate. What happens with Hinako? And she's like, okay, yes, fine. Walks away, turns around. And yells at Wasabi. Yoko yells at Wasabi like, "I've been in love with you for days now." And then walks away. <laughs> Wasabi's like, "What?" 
No, it's such an endearing movie. And for, yeah, for as somber as his film can get, it's, I don't know, man, Masaki Iwasa knows how to balance this all out. And I, that's not always easy. Would, would you say um, Iwasa is your favorite um, currently working um, Japanese director? I, I, I had to put best... in that asterisk because, um, because Miyazaki, I, Miyazaki like comes and goes when it. Yeah, no, I understand what you mean. Cause he's like, I'm going to retire after the wind rises. And then he kicks down the doors. He's like, screw retirement. I'm going to make a CGI short. And then if you see the never ending man, he's like, I think I'm ready to make one more movie. <laughs> Is that so, the one um, that's coming out in 2023? Hopefully. Yes. Um, I think so. Yeah, no, yes, it is. Um, and I would say Yuasa is up there. I think I like Mamoru Hosoda more, but you and I will have to watch his his films and do like an episode about uh, Hosoda. Oh, we, we, um, we will. Um, but I think my two favorites are those, are Hosoda and Yuasa. And it's it's a real shame because Yuasa's uh, going to retire after his next movie comes out and that's going to be a or he's he's at least saying he's taking a break because you know after uh lou over the wall and night of short walk on girl and devil man cry baby he's been pumping out content for a while so oh yeah and that's been like that was all in like two years wasn't it like two or three years and it's like let the guy rest and because you know we talked about this before the anime industry does not have the the best work reputation so let him rest and if when he comes back we will all welcome him back and open with open arms or if he wants to come back so who knows you know now i think you and i had the same criticism let's uh, talk about let's talk about the quote unquote antagonistic dry force of the film yeah like um okay so for, for those for those who either have or have not seen this um the inciting incident was brought on by the this group of of douchebags who are <laughs> who are obsessed with um creating youtube videos um and setting off fireworks and a don't do don't do that it's illegal stop it um and b j like japanese architecture um architecture is frustrating um like that um the apartment complex that hinako lives in i i wouldn't feel safe i wouldn't feel safe living in living under those conditions yeah that that's that place was a fire hazard in waiting and those punks just set it off and made it a thing. So yeah, I, I will say that the, the one small downside to this movie is I don't think it has the best third act. Not that I think the third act is bad. I just think the igniting point, huh, it fireworks and igniting <laughs> um, is that those punks come back and they're just not interesting they're just stupid brainless 
meatbags just trying to do the same thing again even though there's a giant tree inside the building that this third act happens in and it's like it's interesting i don't think yuasa has has the most optimistic look at content creators for youtube or especially or at least this kind or this type um because we can't say he hates them all because of the great uh character from japan sinks but it's definitely like interesting to see like and i've seen this in anime a lot where youtubers or at least a a certain type are not looked highly upon um no no certainly not um no i i love the like the fun i love everything else about the ending it it just i wish there was a stronger point to it i guess but I didn't, but then it's like, I can't think of what else they could have done. Yeah. I was about to ask like, um, because, and, and the reason, the reason the, like the, like the delinquents are not a deal breaker is because, um, there, are means the, there are means to an end, like their, their first attack, I'm, I'm calling it an attack. Yeah. Um, their first attack established the romance between, Hinako and Minato um and their second attack um finally gave Hinako the closure when when Minato came back and saved everyone in the building yeah and so it well first of all that's a fun sequence when she when uh that the whole like the whole building gets flooded yeah she she basically has to surf in the sky which is really cool but i would be kind of horrified but that's just me <laughs> um my my my, que- my question is how how do we still get that ending but without without the delinquents i don't think you can unless they just unless just something else is set up because it wouldn't look good if it's just like oh it's another fire okay or something I mean, I guess like if there was like because you know there's that sequence with the car accident. Um. Oh yeah. But I'm not entirely sure that would help. But I don't know. Yeah. This, this is a pro- this is a problem that I find that it's like I want to say it's a problem, but I can't really say there's a solution to it with a lot of Japanese animated films because I feel like this with uh, like my neighbor Totoro and a few others where it's just like I don't know what they could have done to make to get because it's like ride your wave is kind of a film that likes to take its time even if it's only 90 minutes but then it's like oh we gotta have a third act starter uh we'll just do that and but yeah i don't know i don't think there is a way to make it without the delinquents or something as good or as set up as the delinquents yeah it's it it's tough maybe if they could have connected it to the firefighter training maybe they they um maybe some of the firefighters decided to train at that building and then the whole thing catches on fire uh could be but i'm not entirely sure they'd have to rewrite a few things about it um but i'm not sure i don't think it's i don't think it's possible but i'd have to think long and hard about it but guys if if you've if you've noticed that we're we're kind of forcing forcing criticisms upon this movie that that goes to show how much in the end we fucking loved it 
Oh gosh. It's my second favorite outside of uh, wolf walkers. So, and I can understand why it's your favorite for right now until things chill out and whatnot. So it, it, yeah, go watch this movie. It's available on Blu-ray and DVD and digital. I don't think it's on an, a streaming service as of yet, but uh, that's the thing with G kids films. They kind of bounce around from Netflix and Amazon prime from different yeah, points. I, so. I, I bought the film on, um, on YouTube in HD and it looks, it, it looks fantastic. Yeah, um, yeah. Science Haru is a good studio. Oh yeah. Now, um, I didn't really prepare recommendations, so I'm just going to take you back and back to, um, a few months ago when we talked about, um, Japan sinks, which, is you know it's a heavy it's a heavy show but it's a yuasa show so that makes it mandatory yeah now that's a that's still probably one of my favorite anime of the year i have to kind of think about it because i've watched a lot of anime this year (laughs) especially for this podcast um my recommendations i i had a few different ideas of where to go with this but i think i'm gonna go with recommending Makoto Shinkai's Weathering With You because I'm going to post that for my 100th and 99th written review. I was going to review something else, but since it didn't come out on Netflix or at least US Netflix, I decided I, I kind of struggled because I was going to review something else. And then I was told, hey, we're not going to release it now. So um, you're like, we're going to release it next year. So it's like, ugh, um. So I had to find something. I decided to review Weathering with You. And I know a lot of people seem to like your name more, but I think Weathering with You is really just a better movie. And it's kind of the same reason why uh, we I love Ride Your Wave. The two main characters, the teenagers, um, spend a lot of time, like spend most of the time in the movie together. Their friendship, their love, their bond. And this is all like about a, about a boy who travels to, to Japan and finds out that this girl called the sunshine girl can manipulate the weather to where she can uh, make the sun come out. And this isn't like a, t- a setting where it has been constantly raining. And I just love this movie. I love the, the writing. I love the characters. I think it all works. I think this is you, uh, Shinkai's best overall movie. But I know it's it, and unfortunately, it didn't have the same success as your name. Though it saying that it's like, oh no, this one milkshake I had was not as good as this other milkshake, but I still drank both milkshakes. <laughs> it's that kind of thing. Um, and G Kids also put this one out. It's actually the mo- one of the most successful indie films of 2020. Oh, nice. But you kind of have to put a caveat on that because of you know everything. <laughs> but hell it probably would have been successful no matter what because people love makoto shinkai so i recommend that recommend that movie weathering with you and yeah that's i think that's what i'm going to go with i am watching a fe- some films at a festival called a japanese film festival plus i'll probably post a little bit about it in renegade pop culture and maybe make an editorial about it we're not going to make it a a focus for an episode because there's just nothing new or 
nothing new for us to talk to talk about since most of the films are just from years ago and some are from last year and what have you so um yeah go watch weathering with you yeah um i i think that's that's a good place to end this episode this was this this was fun i i enjoyed the the variety that we had um and it wasn't it wasn't as heavy a news week as um as our normal shows. I'm happy about that, though I am a little sad that there wasn't much, but it's like, what else is there right now? Because I'm just kind of waiting for some of the stuff to happen, like the Oscar submissions, just so I can finalize my uh, list. And it's just like, we're, we're going to be doing mostly catch-up stuff until like Soul comes out and when the crude is finally available to watch. Yeah, the 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 rest of the year is basically basically that. Um, and I, I know I mean I know we're going to talk about Cartoon Saloon next week, but uh, uh or like the next time. So yeah, ne- our our next episode is going to be the complete Cartoon Saloon retrospective, which is going to be manageable since it's only four films. <laughs> yep. And just in time for Wolfwalkers. Yeah, I can't wait to talk about that film again. All right, so before we head out of here, Cameron, where can everyone find you online? Uh, you can find me at twitter.com um, at, at Cam's Eye View. I run a website called camseyeview.biz where I review animated films called The Other Side of Animation. I also have a Patreon at patreon.com slash camseyeview. And I also um, started up my Instagram again and you can find me at uh, like Instagram.com, I think like slash cams I view, but just look for cams I view.biz and you should be okay. Um, and I'll, I'm also in the Renegade Pop Culture Facebook group. So yeah, you'll, you'll find me around and I'll probably post a few things there. So yeah, my Instagram is Instagram.com slash cams I view.biz. Awesome. And you guys can find me on Twitter and Instagram at CaptainK42. Check out all my quick thought reviews on letterbox.com slash coachk42. Find me in all the various Facebook groups just at my name. Check out Renegade Pop Culture on Facebook and Twitter at Ren Pop Culture. All our podcasts are available on Apple Podcasts, Anchor, Spotify, wherever you listen. And last but not least, don't forget to check out renegadepopculture.com. In escape, so do we. That'll do it for this week's... Uh, installment of renegade animation we will catch you guys later peace out bye